go that our salvation is not complete till that point. There should be some assurance in our salvation. There should be some confidence here on this earth. And the one verse that we brought out is, is the verse that, that says, Be ready to give every man an answer for the hope that's in you. Uh, and it's kind of hard if you're not sure that you're saved, how to tell somebody else how to be saved. So while we're confident in the fact, especially as apostolics of Acts 2.38, and repent, be baptized, and fill the Holy Ghost, and we're confident in saying that to somebody, uh, there's sometimes a lack of confidence, uh, and we're not sure if it's a trick question or whatever, if we were to be asked, are you saved? We're kind of a little bit hesitant with that. And, and so with, with those... Um, with those uh, um, now I can't think of the word, but with those um, things being said that, that it's not once saved, always saved, and all that stuff, we, are, we can have an assurance, we can have a confidence in our salvation here on this earth. And it's not something that we should have to constantly uh, revisit the fact of whether I'm saved. We mentioned the fact that if I constantly have those feelings, then there's two things. Either I do have sin in my life, so I need to fix that, because if I do have continued sin in my life, I know it's sin and I continue to do it. It's no wonder that you feel like you're not saved. Uh, but if, 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 that, if I always feel like I'm not saved, I'm always questioning that, I would venture to say that you, the other option is that you haven't experienced the full benefits of salvation, which included is that, in that is confidence. Because I believe that His blood was enough. And I shouldn't have to constantly revisit. Again, if there's sin in my life, if there's wrong in my life, yes, I need to do something about that, and we will actually touch on that at the close of this lesson today. Uh, but we talked, we're, we're going to be looking at 1 John, because 1 John gives some, gives some uh, ways that we can have confidence in our salvation. Uh, if you would, proofs of salvation or fruits of salvation, that if you are doing these things, that you can have confidence in your salvation. And today we're going to look at the first one, and this one is walking in the light. If I'm walking in the light, and we're going to look at what that entails. John, First uh, John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, say, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, uh, it, as you, Jesus just dinged in to clarify that. <laughs> it, it, as you begin to look at some of, uh, of, the, of the writings of, of James, John, Peter, these guys, Paul, uh, they, they sometimes just don't beat around the bush and they say it pretty plain and it's kind of annoying. Uh, verse 6 is a little troublesome. It says, if you say that you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... John says you're a liar, and you don't have any truth. <laughs> you know, sometimes we like to sugarcoat a little and say, well, that's not really that nice, but he just says you're a liar. And uh, we're going to find that he's pretty emphatic in some of the things that he says. Uh, but but uh, first off, we read that John wants to make it clear uh, that there's light, who that light is, and that God is that light. We read in John chapter 1, verse uh, the, the Gospel of John, verses 7 through 9, it says, The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He, and that's speaking of John the Baptist. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light that lighteth every man that come into the world. 
So John is very concerned, uh, uh, wants to make, make very clear in both his gospel and in his letters that Jesus Christ is the light. There is no other light besides Jesus Christ. Even John the Baptist, who was counted very high, highly as one of the prophets, he, he wants to make sure that you understand he was not that light, but sent to bear witness of that light. And of course, we read in Revelation, another book written by John, it says in, verse, in chapter 21, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. What a place heaven will be where there's not even any need of light, but Jesus Christ himself is the light. That is the definition of being the light. Now, people may say, well, they light up the room. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're that person that when you walk in, you just lighten the whole room. You brighten it up. Well, bless your cotton socks. No. Uh, but <laughs> maybe you are the darkness. No. <laughs> but Jesus Christ doesn't just brighten up the room in heaven. He is light. And because he is light, there is no darkness in him. There is no moral wrong. There is no wickedness in him. And if really, if we could put it this way, he is the epitome of integrity because he has no hidden side. Now, as I look across this audience today, I can see your faces. And uh, perhaps maybe as Calvin and Calvin and Hobbes did his brilliant idea for class, he cut a ping pong ball in half and put two black circles on it, then stuck them to his eyeballs so he could fall asleep, yet it would look like he was still looking. Maybe you've done that today. <laughs> if you haven't, maybe you're thinking about it. There's ping pong balls upstairs. But I, I can see your face, but I don't know what's going on on the inside necessarily. And, and I'm not saying that we all have this dark side, but there's parts of us that are hidden. But in, in God, He has integrity in the fact that there is no hidden side in Him. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Because he is light, James calls him the father of lights. Because of that, there is no shadow, there is no hint, no degree of turning or changeableness in his character. There is no shadow or gray area in his integrity, in his dealings, in his plans and purposes. He is light, he is pure, and he is true. The Greek has the idea that, that there's the rejection of darkness in, in God, but there's not even a speck of darkness in God because He is light. And so John wants us, he, he wants to make sure that we understand this aspect of His character because we have to understand that if we are then to walk in the light. We have to understand that He is the light. And this is the challenge that John now issues to believers if we say that we have fellowship or if we say we are in communion or are associated with Him, but we do not walk in the light, then we are absent of truth. And this is a sign of my salvation, that I am walking in the light. And we are given the mighty challenge, uh, John later tells us in, in, in his epistle, uh, we are given the challenge of walking as he walked. In 1 John chapter 2, he said, He that saith he abideth in him ought also so to walk even as he walked. Now, I remember last week we mentioned that these things all kind of tie together what we're talking about, and one of the things that we're going to look at over the next few weeks is abiding in Him. And so here we have the combination of abiding in Him and walking as He walked. If He is the light, then that light entails, because I can now look at the character of Jesus Christ if I'm supposed to walk as He walked, that, 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 that my walk with God should entail holiness. It should entail purity. It should entail sinlessness, 
because that's who he was and that's how he walked. Sinlessness. Here's the issue that comes in conflict then with the idea of me having confidence in my salvation. If I'm supposed to walk as he walked and he walked sinless and that's what I'm supposed to do, then every time that I'm not sinless, am I in darkness? Do I have to revisit my salvation continually? How can I have confidence in my salvation if I'm supposed to walk sinless? Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're sinless. But I realize that I'm not perfect. So, if I realizing that I'm not perfect and that I make mistakes, yet I'm supposed to walk sinless, the question is, do I live in fear of constantly stepping out of the light? When I, when I mess up, if... if I was trying to figure out today how I could get a beam of light without like getting out the spotlight and all this stuff. So um, I guess I, I figured out that my first name is Robert and it means shining light. So I just am the spotlight. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Kyle means handsomeness. So you can put those together. Just let the Lord reveal that to you. <laughs> My nose runs a whole lot now, which isn't very shining or anything. But <laughs> I was trying to figure out because sometimes we think of our salvation as a spotlight. It puts this, it puts this uh, a very clear circle. If the room was dark and there was a spotlight, there's a very clear circle. And you're in the light, and when you step this way, you are out of the light. It's light and dark. So is that the way my walk with God is? Is that I'm completely in the light... I mess up, I'm at work, I lose my temper, I say something I shouldn't say, I do something I shouldn't do, and now I'm completely in darkness. And now I'm not saved. Well, that, that's, how do I have assurance? Because I know I'm not perfect, I know that I'm probably going to mess up even though I'm not trying to mess up. This is the conflict, this is what I'm talking about in our life, the reality of it. How do I have assurance in the middle of all that? This is where our confidence in our salvation begins to falter. But I think it's important for us to look at these verses in context. Because walking in the light does not mean that I'm achieving perfection. Okay? If you don't believe me, the verse right after, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. He says, walk in the light. You've got to walk in the light as he walked in the light. He says this then. If we say that we... It says it right here in my paper. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Skipping down to verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, if I say I don't have any sin, I make him a liar, and his word's not in me. Now, just hold on, because we read that, and, and we're all excited about walking in the light. We're all excited that, well, yeah, I don't have to be perfect. So how do these work together? How do I walk? Here's the question. How do I walk in the light, walk as he walked, and yet still have sin in my life? Because I want you to understand as well that this verse, verse 8, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, is not speaking of we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. It's not saying that every man is a sinner. It is not talking about original sin. Number one, we can tell that by who this is written to. This, this book is not written to sinners. It's written to the church. Okay, so it's written to you and I. People that have gone through a new birth experience. And he says, if you've been through a new birth experience and then you still say, I have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. It's not talking about that. It's different language that's used. So first of all, everyone's a sinner here. If I say I have no sin, I'm deceiving myself. 
Okay, I've got to understand that. But I have to somehow make this work with walking in the light. How do I walk as Jesus walked? Which, how did he walk? Sinless. I don't know if it's confusing to you, but it's confusing to me. Can someone please explain it to me? And it states that if we say we have no sin, we're liars. And we know uh, we're all, all, well anyway, we know where all liars go. We used to say gateway, but no, it's Hershey College, but. Broad is the gate that leadeth to destruction. That's those of us at IB Carnal said that. <laughs> there, there has to be some other idea though than this. It, it, than this, if we can go back to the analogy of this, of this very clear uh, spotlight in the darkness, there has to be some other idea that John is trying to bring forth because it seems in my mind as I read it and think about it that there's a contradiction. And I've mentioned it before, and so it may be slightly familiar, but I want to take us a little bit farther down the path. When John speaks of walking in the light, my walk, it refers to a path, it refers to a course, it refers to my conduct, really how I regulate myself, or my habit. My habit. Is my path one that goes through light or darkness? Is my habit to walk in the light or to walk in darkness? What is my habit? To continually walk in light without ever stumbling is the goal. It is not my goal to sin. It is my goal to be sinless, to do right continually. Okay? But if I accomplish that, then I'm perfect. And there's only one that's perfect. And Scripture also tells me that I cannot be perfect until I reach heaven. That's my full maturity. I can be perfect in my maturity and my walk with God as I grow. But we can't achieve ultimate perfection in this life, despite the fact that I must try. So when John refers to walking in the light, he is referring to the path that you are on, the habits that I have. A habit is defined as this, an acquired behavior pattern regularly followed until it has become almost involuntary. Something that you do without even thinking. There are voluntary and involuntary actions that our body has. When you touch something hot, it's an involuntary action that you jerk your hand back. When there's pain experienced, you jerk your hand back. Sometimes it makes it even worse. It's an involuntary action. Something that you don't have to think about. There's voluntary actions in our life. (laughs) Exercise is a voluntary action. (laughs) You don't do it without thinking. (laughs) You've got to think long and hard about exercise. That's the best way to leave it, just thinking long and hard about it. (laughs) Other things can become habits too. How we think and how we feel can become habits, not just our actions. There's patterns of thought that are a habit. There's there's patterns of of, of how we feel our emotions that become habit. When we get in certain circumstances, certain situations, something automatically comes out. We become trained to think certain ways, and this can cause our actions to come out in certain ways. And I believe this morning, I want to challenge us in three areas this morning of our habits and our actions, our thoughts, and in our feelings. Let me ask you, what what is your involuntary pattern in your actions, in your thinking, and in your feelings? When crisis hits, what do you automatically do? When pain hits your life, what's your involuntary reaction? Because those are what reveal whether you're in the light or darkness. It's not a lack of sin that reveals it, 
It's your involuntary actions. When emotions are high, what's your involuntary habitual response? John tells us that these begin to reveal really whether we're walking in the light. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now I think that gives me a little bit of hope because it tells me I'm supposed to walk in the light, yet it calls me a child. That's kind of nice because children are learning. I have to learn to walk in the light. Characteristics of light, if we're talking about these things, are openness, visibility, transparency. Characteristics of darkness are secrets, things hidden, things obscured. You must realize that that, that you and I many times were not raised with spiritual habits ingrained. It, and, and I'm not talking about your actual, how you were uh, actually raised in your household, but our, our, our uh, nature does not have spiritual habits ingrained in it. You have habits, that you, you have things you know as a child, and even as you grow up, things that just seem to come naturally. No one had to teach me how to talk back to my parents. I was really good at it just from the start. I was really good at it. <laughs> But I wasn't real good at just praying all the time. <laughs> wasn't real good at that. We're all born in sin and there are sinful worldly ways of thinking, ways of responding that have to be broken in our life. Our involuntary response. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12-16 through 16 says this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world. This is a challenging passage of Scripture. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This verse tells me that there are things that are spiritual that I need to incorporate into my life. Habits, patterns of thinking, both in, uh, of thinking and how I feel about things and how I respond to things. And it gives me one important clue to discern whether my natural or spiritual man is working or if there's a conflict. It tells me that the Spirit will speak things to me and immediately my natural man says, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's a real good test to, to decide whether I think it's of the Lord or not. Does it sound really dumb to my natural man? Because the enemy likes to, to please the flesh. You know? He doesn't tell you to do things that you don't like to do. If you like to gossip, he doesn't tell you not to gossip or post something. He says, go ahead and do it. It's not really gossip anyway. It's, it's informing people of how they can pray better. But the Spirit might tell you to delete your Facebook account. That's stupid. Everyone has Facebook, right? Except Todd and Todd. But there's a lot of times in my life that, that that's a really good test right there because immediately my natural man begins to rise up and say, you know what, that's, that's goofy. That is a goofy thing. If I allow the Holy Ghost to teach me, then there will be things that go against how my natural man wants to do things. 
And sometimes, because it says, uh, uh, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, things that I have been taught by man that are ingrained inside of me, whether it's through education, whether it's through schooling, whether it's just the way that I grew up, there are things, and it goes against those things, and I say, well, I can't do that. That's not what I've learned. That's not how I've always done it. That's silly. It may go against how I was brought up to think. It most definitely will go against how the world has taught me to think, and we don't realize how much the world has taught us to think. Paul tells us something very important, and that is that we have the mind of Christ. That right there is one of the most powerful statements in Scripture. That you and I have the mind of Christ. That means that whatever he thinks of the knowledge that he has, it is possible for me to possess that because I have the mind of Christ as well. If I'm to have the mind of Christ, there are some things that are right according to his mind, but foolish according to mine. And I have a choice about what I'm going to do. Jesus gives a perfect demonstration of this in his Sermon on the Mount. There's, there's, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, 8, he, he is, is giving things and, and, and he starts talking about and he starts doing, doing this kind of thing. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye. You've heard it said, and he goes through this list of things and then he says, but I say unto you. He says, here's the natural way of thinking. Adultery is wrong, but I say unto you, when you just think about it, it's wrong. You have heard it said it's wrong to punch somebody in the face, but I say unto you, it's wrong when you just think about punching them in the face. You know what I say? Well, that's stupid. I didn't hurt anyone. Why is it wrong for me to think about punching Blake in the face? I'm not doing it, because his mom and dad's right there. I'm not doing it. I didn't hurt anyone. Just because I'm thinking about it, I didn't hurt anyone. It, it's, it's, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. I, I, I mean, how many of us were raised with, with the thought of, if someone hits you, hit them back and hit them harder because then they won't hit you again? You've heard it said. But I say unto you, turn the other cheek. I only got one more cheek, so I only have to let him hit me twice. That's what my natural man says. That's not what he says. <laughs> when someone asks you for something and you know that they're going to abuse what you're giving them, hmm, give them your coat too. Go the second mile. Well, that's dumb. You know what they're going to do with the money I give, it, give them? They're going to waste it and blow it. And you know what? In two months, they're going to ask me for more money. Now, Scripture has plenty of things to say as well about being wise and all this kind of stuff. But it goes against my natural thinking. It goes right against it. How do I, what's my involuntary response? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The word conversation is a metaphor and it speaks of our garments or in the commentaries it says our habits. That you put off concerning the former habits, the old man. The way that you were involuntary trained to respond to situations, that has to change. You can't just be filled with the Holy Ghost, go through a new birth experience and then think and act the same way. Now we know about the sin stuff, that's not what he's talking about. If you have a sinful habit, then you've got some problems. 
But he's talking about some of these other things in our life. That you put off the former habits, and this verse talks about as far as our conduct, and that's the first thing. We must realize that when it comes to our habits and our conduct, you and I have control of our actions. We're going to talk about our conduct, we're going to talk about our thoughts, and our, uh, our heart, our feelings, our desires. That wasn't three things, that was one thing all within side parentheses. Don't worry, it's not six things. But we have to realize that when it comes to our habits and our conduct, we have control of our actions. You have to realize that. We live in a day and age where you really don't have to take responsibility for your actions. Your actions can be blamed on your feelings. They can be blamed on your emotions as if there's no separation. Well, I felt this way, so that's how I responded. That's just how I respond when I feel that way. There's a line between my anger that I feel and my actions. There's a line. Now, I know, I know uh, <laughs> this is how some of us think. Let's go back to punching Blake in the face. <laughs> that Jesus said, if I think it, it's as bad as doing it. Well, if that's the case, if I'm going to think it, I might as well do it. It's just as bad, right? But there is a line between me thinking I'm, I'm, I'm really angry at Blake and me actually punching him in the face. There's a line that's crossed. And the line that's crossed is that emotion may rise up and I may not be able to control that anger right away, but I can control my hand and my fist connecting with his face. You've got to understand that you do control your actions. Let me just say this, because we're going to talk about how, how the Spirit of God can help you and stuff, but there are people every day that don't give two hoots about God that control their actions. I can't do it. Well, let me just say you have the Holy Ghost and you can do it. There, there are people... There are people today, and, and you think, well, this is crazy, but there's actually, uh, it's a huge movement now because of, people are realizing the physical and psychological effects. There are people today, without the power of the Holy Ghost, that don't care about God and are not doing it for spiritual reasons, that today they will quit looking at pornography. They're going to do it. And they're not going to pray about it. They're just going to do it. You have control of your actions. Nobody's making you click on that stuff. Or now you've got touch screens. There. No, no, one's, no one is making you do that. Do you understand that that's why you speak in tongues? It's because nobody can control your body. You do. No one can make you talk. No one can make you say stuff. That's why when I give control of my tongue to Him, it's a sign that He has control of my body. It's a sign. Okay, it's not you come up here and someone grabs your arm and waves it around, and that's a sign. No, it's something that you have control over. You must yield yourself. We have to understand that. So when, I, when I'm talking about my habits and how I respond with my actions, you have control over that. And we have to realize that if my actions are not correct, I can control those. If my habit, my involuntary response is to go, when I get mad, go punch a wall, you can control that. Romans 6, chapter 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. That is a personal thing that does not involve the Spirit. The Spirit cannot yield you. You must yield yourself. If you have actions that are controlling you in your life, you are the only one who can yield, both for the good and bad. You either yield and give in and do that action, or you yield yourself to God and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. 
I would challenge you in the habit of your actions that you can be changed to walk in the light. If I want confidence in my salvation, I've got to make sure that my actions are godly, that my actions are biblical, that my actions are correct. And how do I change that? I have the power over myself, my actions. We have to understand that we have habits of our thoughts and our mind that need changed as well. And we could, I mean, you could go more in depth into all of these, but we're not going to because time is, because we decided not to. While we may control our actions and appear to others to be walking in the light because of our actions, we know that there is more than just the external. While I may never physically harm someone, anger may burn within me. Beyond just I'm upset, anger can burn within me. Bitterness can grow within me. Anxiety, worry, distress, uh, uh, despair can, can uh, be inside of me despite the fact that I may have control over my external responses. While I may not act on it, sexual impurity may consume my thoughts. Here's the great thing about my thoughts and emotions though, is that while it is a partnership, that means I don't have to do it on my own. I must play a part, but I am not on my own when it comes to my thoughts and my emotions. Because you and I know that sometimes despite our best intentions, despite uh, uh, having just prayed and read the Bible for 65 hours, that one person comes along and says one thing and there it is. (laughs) That emotion rises up even though we try not to. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It says, be not conformed. Again, commentaries say that this has the idea of do not have the habit, the habit, an involuntary reaction, and be fashioned by it. Do not be conformed. Do not have the thought process, the habits of this world. Our thought habits are changed by a renewing, or the word is a renovation, of your mind. It's not an entirely new construct because you have gone through the new birth experience. You are a new creature in Him. But it takes the guts out. (laughs) If you've ever renovated something, it's not a renovation if you take out the foundation and everything. You're just building something new. Well, we have the right foundation if we have gone through a new birth experience. We need to rest assured in that. There's nothing else that we can build our life upon but Jesus Christ and a new birth experience. But sometimes still, I need the rest of it renovated because my habits are not in the light. My thought processes are not in the light. And and sometimes I have to have some walls tore out. I have to have ceilings tore out. Sometimes I have to go all the way back to the studs and have my life renovated. There's only one other time in Scripture that this word renewing, it says be uh, by the renewing of your mind. There's only one other time it's used in Scripture. It's found in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you how you change your thought processes. If you feel like your habit, your thought processes, when, when things happen, and you know my thought is not right, I struggle with sexual impure thoughts, I struggle with anger, I struggle with bitterness, and I'm not out punching people in the face, I'm not out acting on these things, I have that under control, yet I have these things, all the battle in my mind all the time, Titus tells us what we need to do, we need to renew our mind, and there's one way to do that, by the power of the Holy Ghost. You can change how you think by constantly being renewed in the Holy Ghost. You wonder why you can't quit thinking certain ways or or certain thoughts keep coming. You, You wonder why. Let me tell you, you need the power of the Holy Ghost to renew you. The Holy Ghost is more than an experience at an altar however many years ago it was in your life. 
It's more than just a part of a salvation experience. Why should I speak in tongues? Why should I pray in the Spirit? I'll tell you why. It renews your mind. It renews your thought process. That's why it's important. When you pray, you should speak in tongues. That doesn't mean that every time I pray, when I go pray for, you know, when I go home today and pray for dinner, man, I just start interceding. No, I understand. (laughs) But you know what? If you are not praying in tongues... Remember that you either have sin in your life, that's the reason why you feel that way, or you're not experiencing the full benefits of salvation. A benefit of salvation, you receive the Holy Ghost, is a continued renewing of your mind. You need to pray in tongues if you have the Holy Ghost. You need to speak in tongues. Because it renews your mind and it can change your thought process. In fact, that's the only two times the word renewing is used in Scripture in that way. So it would seem to me, if I want to change my thought pattern, there's one way to do it. I need to pray in the Holy Ghost. It renews my mind. So my actions are renewed. I have control over my actions. If I'm not walking, how do I walk in the light? I need to do what's right in my actions. And I have control over that. How do I change my thought process? Because you and I know that thoughts pop into our mind that aren't right, and we, we try and get rid of them, and sometimes they just keep happening. I need to pray in the Holy Ghost in that moment because my mind can be renewed. How do I change the habit of my heart? How do I change my desires? Paul says there's that, that passage in Romans. He says there's things that I do that I don't want to do, but I do them and then I don't. And all, all those do's in there. Sometimes the desires of our heart. We're trying our best to walk in the light, but our desires still pull us. Scripture gives us a very simple formula to discover where our heart is. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This seems a little counterintuitive at first when I say it. But I believe that we can change the habits of our desires through our actions. So while I have the power of the Holy Ghost to help me with that, I play a pretty big part in changing my own desires through my actions. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I I understand that my heart has to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. I have to have the blood in my heart. This is not something I do on my own. I want you to understand this is not the power of positive thinking. This is not me willing myself to be better. I cannot be better without the blood of Jesus Christ. But I believe that if you begin placing your treasure in the right places... Your heart's desire will change. Investment changes my heart. Now, I'll just be honest with you. Since I've been lying the whole time, now I'm going to be honest. I was not here. This is a very practical example. I was not here when that last uh, sanctuary or the, the annex was belt, built. I was not there for the L. Did not see any of that built. So while a door would get damaged, or one of the kids would run through a wall, or or, or there'd be scuff marks all over the wall, I did not like that because I wanted the church to be presentable. Yet there was a difference because I did not paint that wall, I did not put up that door, I did not even give money for that door or that paint. I was not here. But you know what? It took me four days of trimming in this gym. Four days on a scaffold trimming this gym. 
That's all I did. And you know what? The scuff marks bother me a little bit more. <laughs> I invested my money in this building. So when the youth get all crazy in the room and knock a hole in the wall, that bothers me more than when I was youth pastor and six chairs got broken one night. We were having fun. It changes. Why? Because I'm invested. My desires are different because of my investment. And we have to, and, and we know, we know that verse, I'm sure, I don't know how many of you could have quoted, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But understanding that my actions, where I, I begin to put my, my treasure, it can change my actual desires. How do I care more about the family of God? We heard a message last Sunday about, about the family of God and where am I with fellowship. And all. How do I care more about the family of God? Because honestly, we can come into church, we can say hi to people and leave and not see anyone else or, or even really think about them except on a Sunday and Wednesday. How do I care more about the, about the family of God? Do I pray about it more? Yes, that might be a good thing. Do, let me tell you, invest yourself in the family of God. How do I become more passionate about souls? Do I weep at the altar for six hours every Sunday? Do I cry about it? Let me tell you a good way to change the desires of your heart so you care more about souls. Invest yourself in some people that don't care about God or believe in God. Invest yourself in their life. You know what? You'll find yourself caring, desiring about souls. How do I care more about ministry? Well, I'm just happy coming to church and having good church. How do I care more about ministry and doing something for God and His purpose? I'll tell you how. Just get involved in something. Had a teacher in college that always said, exposure breeds a burden. Just get yourself involved. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do for God. Well, why don't you just get involved in something and it will develop a burden within you instead of waiting for the burden to develop and then get involved. How do I change my desires to godly things where my desires are in the light, where my desires are trying to be pleasing? Invest yourself in godly things. Don't invest... Well, my desires are just I, I just... I just don't even feel like doing anything. Sometimes I don't even feel like coming to church. Where did you invest yourself that week? <laughs> Would you care more if there was a fire at the gym or a fire at family video? That's the polite way of saying it. Well, I just, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't seem to care about the family of God. And yes, I care about them, but I just, and, and, and all of your friends, a vast majority of your friends are outside of church. And then you wonder why your desires are not in the light. Now, I, just, I know I just said, you know what, if you want to have a passion for souls, you should, you should have friends that aren't in the church. Yes. But if the vast majority of your time is spent aligning, you're going to find your desires aligning with their desires. You know what, you can't watch movies and be around people that are cussing all the time and find your desires in the light. You can't do it. You can't surround yourself with people and, and, and things that, that promote sexual, uh, all kinds of deviancy now, and then come to church and, and, and your desires be right. You can't do that. You can't be around uh, people that are critical, that are gossiping, that are negative. You can't be around angry people, bitter people, all, these, all of these different things that hold us from being in the light and then expect your desires to be right. You can't do it. 
Where your treasure is, is where your heart. So you know what I need to do? Is I need to make a conscious effort. My heart's going to follow where I'm invested. If my heart's leaning towards my career and my work, and I'm willing to work 60 hours of overtime on top of the other 50, but I can't show up for prayer on a Monday night, then my investment needs to change. If my investment, if I'm investing all my time, my heart's leaning towards my college, my education, towards money and things... That's where I'm investing. You know what? My heart will be there. And then I'll come into the presence of the Lord and wonder why I don't feel like I'm in the light. First Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 19 says, Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Set your heart and your soul. This is not just about God comes down and magically changes all your desires and now you just love to pray and you love to read the Bible and you love to do stuff at the church. No, that's probably not going to happen. You're probably going to have to do what it says in Chronicles. Set your heart. You're going to have to do something. That word set has a, has, is the same word that was used in creation when God said He set the firmament. It was deliberate. It was intentional. And it was something that was fixed. I've got to fix or set my heart to seek Him. And I do that by putting my actions in the kingdom of God. Here's the last thing that I want to talk about. So I have, as I walk in the light, it doesn't mean that I walk perfect. It doesn't mean that I walk sinless. Because if I say that I have no sin, I'm deceiving myself. And by saying that, I step out of the light. I'm a liar. But it does mean that my habit needs to be right. The way that I usually respond to things, that I typically respond to things in in my conduct in my thoughts, and in my feelings, my desires, they need to be in the light. Yes, I'm going to make mistakes. Yes, I'm going to fall because I'm not perfect. And though I'm not, and, and, and Paul says it the greatest in Romans, he makes a lot of statements that people could take to the extreme where grace doth abound, sin, uh, where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. Well, then let's just all sin so there's more grace, right? Ten times he makes statements that are kind of like that, and immediately he follows them up with, God forbid. That's not what I'm saying to do. Let's just get more grace, so let's just all sin some more. No, that's not what, what he's saying. And so it's not that I'm, I, I, I can't be sinless, so pff, what does it matter? No, I'm still attempting to do that. But we read, this is part of walking in the light. If I want to be in the light. This is what happens, it's tied in with this in verse 9. We skipped over it. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If I want to be a person that walks in the light, this is, an, this is a key component. I'm a sinner. I will have sin in my life. I cannot be sinless. Yet I'm trying, my actions are on the path of trying to follow after Him. But when I sin... When sin is pointed out in my life, when something is wrong is pointed out in my life, if I'm going to stay walking in the light, then my habit, my involuntary reaction is to confess my sin to Him. If I'm going to walk in the light, I have to have repentance as a part of my life. My involuntary action, when Scripture reveals something to me, when I hear something that's preached, or when somebody says, or, or however it comes to me, when truth comes to me, something is pointed out in my life, then my involuntary reaction is not, to, is not to let my natural man say, well, that's just dumb, that's just foolish, but immediately to say, Lord, I repent, whatever it is. You know what? There's some silly things that I've been convicted of in my life that I've had to repent about. Silly things. But if I want to walk in the light, I have to believe that He is faithful and just to forgive us my sins so that I can stay walking in the light. 
but I must make confession and repentance a part of my life. And then he says this, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now this gets all lumped together, forgiveness and repentance and cleansing. But there's a difference. That word cleanseth is present and continuous. That demonstrates that you know what? Um, It's not just a one-time cleansing because I'm going to need cleansed multiple times in my life. But it's always present. It's always available. And it can continually work in my life, this cleansing in my life. Now understand that there's this difference between forgiveness and cleansing. I realize that when I come to Him, when I come to an altar, repentance is a part of that new birth experience and I experience forgiveness. But there's a cleansing that must also take place. The best way to describe the difference is found in the parable of the prodigal son. We know the story. Uh, the, the, the son asked for his inheritance early. He ran off. He spent all of his money. And eventually he finds himself feeding pigs. And he comes to his senses in the pig pen. And he says, you know what? I'm just going to go back home and, and tell my father I just want to be a servant. Because even the servants and the slaves have a better life than me. So he goes home. And the story goes that as, uh, uh, for, for whatever reason, the father was watching waiting. And it tells us that the father ran to him, hugged him, kissed him. And in that moment, that son experienced forgiveness. And you know what? That's the, that's the forgiveness. That's, that's the sensation that I had when I, when I went through a new birth experience. When I came to an altar, when I, said, when I came to my senses and said, you know what? This life is not working. I'm feeding pigs. I've got nothing. There, there, there's, my choices have led me here. And I came to an altar. And really, I don't know how it was for you, but when I came to that altar, almost before I could say anything, I felt His love. I felt His mercy. As He hugged me, He kissed me, He ran to me. He was waiting for me to forgive me. Amen. <clears throat> but the story doesn't end there. And you see, for many of us, our story ends there. The sin is forgiven. The the transgressions, the past is forgiven. But He was forgiven and He was cleansed. And this cleansing has a lot to do with my habits and these things that that are not necessarily sins, but that my thoughts and my emotions, these habits I have, there's a cleansing that can take place. In fact, the idea that we get is that although there's a new garment, there's spots and stains on the garment. It's It's another washing. And we find in that story that the father was not content simply to run to his son and give him that forgiveness. The son begins to say, you know what? I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. I just want to be a servant. You know what? The father could have said, okay. The son could have experienced some degree. He had experienced forgiveness. But the father said, no. I want you to get a clean robe. I want you to get a, I want you to get a ring. I want you to put new sandals on his feet. We're going to have a party. You see, that's the difference between forgiveness and a cleansing. I experience forgiveness for my sins, but there's a cleansing of my mind, of my emotions, of a lot of stuff that's just filth, that's just spots and stains. Hebrews says, laying aside every sin and the weight. It's weights. It's things that hold us back. There's a cleansing that's available. And I would challenge you today because there's, there's people that sit here and you have experience. For, it's not a question of whether your salvation is secure or not. It's not a question because that son could have been a servant for the rest of his life. His forgiveness was assured. He had confidence in that foundational thing. But let me ask you, beyond that, beyond settling that I have received forgiveness, that I am made whole in his eyes, have you experienced a cleansing in your life? Have you experienced a washing after that? Because that was about position. 
Walking in, in, in light does not mean perfection or sinless. <clears throat> it does mean that when the wrong is pointed out or realized, I ask for forgiveness and repent. And we have that promise that He is faithful and just to forgive us. But part of walking in the light is not just forgiveness, but allowing Him to cleanse us. There are dirty, forgiven people. There are prodigal sons that are in the Father's house, but a servant. Walking in the light means I'm cleansed. You've never let Him cleanse you. It could be because you feel unworthy. It could be because you know, you know who you are and you still make mistakes and you still mess up. And I'm not sure. I know, I'm, I know I've been through all this, but I, I still keep messing up. No, you need Him to cleanse you. And there's no confidence in your... And I, I'm finishing up. The reason you have no confidence in your salvation is because you've never let Him put you in the place that you're supposed to be. You're serving God as a servant and not as a son. You're forgiven, but you can't have confidence to walk around the house like you own it, to walk into His throne room with boldness, that's what we talked about last week, to enter into the holiest of holies which you have access to. You can't do it because you're living as a servant, not as a son. I'm challenging you today to go beyond, have confidence that He has forgiven you, that He has done that, but then take another step in some of these habits, some of these things. He can wash you. He can cleanse you. And you know what? You can walk into His presence with boldness then. Again, this is not about, well, look at who I am. This is about the access that He died to give you. He didn't just die so that you could spend eternity with Him. He died so you could have access into His throne room now. And I must have clean robes and be in the right position to do that stuff in my life. Let's stand this morning. It's time to close. I, I, I pray. There was about 95 different directions. I couldn't figure out what to go. I pray the Lord has spoke to you in some way. Whether it's my actions need to change, my thoughts, my heart needs to change. Maybe it's the confidence I'm missing is that I just need Him to wash me. I'm forgiven, but I'm not, I don't feel I'm in the right place. Let me just remind you. You are in the right place. You're in the house. So you can stand assured on that confidence that you are saved, yet you're not in the right relationship with the Father. I want us to pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you.